0: If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. and welcome to Newborn Mothers Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest who I've been wanting to have on the podcast for ages. Samantha and I have known each other in the online world for many years now. Um, And we both met online because we both have online businesses and because we're both really, really passionate about uh, women's voices, women's stories, um, and changing the way that, that women really move through their lives and experience the world. So Sam, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. My pleasure. Uh, So,
1: as you said, I, I, I have an online business. I'm the CEO and founder of the School of Visibility, and that's an online school for women who want to speak up, be seen and heard, and change people's lives for good. And I also am a feminist writer and I'm in the process of uh i'm I'm kind of deep in the middle of writing my first book so uh that's me
0: (laughs) yeah awesome and i don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into this work i'm kind of curious
1: yeah that's interesting i i got into this work by bringing together two parts of my um, background i had Spent a decade working with Aboriginal communities in New South Wales and then across Australia and was very much in a social justice space and loved that, loved it, loved it to bits. And at the end of that time, I got quite sick with chronic fatigue and I was sick for four years. And during that period of time, I didn't do a lot of things. I kind of lay around a lot in my bed looking at white walls. I couldn't take any... I couldn't take any kind of um, stimulation at all, not noise, not light, nothing. And for me, that radically shifted my the way that I operated in the world. And at the end of the four years, I, I came to this point where I realised I, I just can't hold down a regular job anymore. I don't have the capacity to do it. I was thinking about going on to... Um, a, it, it benefits for, for people with disabilities. And then all of a sudden I had this light bulb moment where I thought I could probably work online. I could work for an hour and then sleep for an hour and then work for an hour and sleep for an hour. And that's what I did initially. That's how I worked. But within six months of doing that after four years of really, um, really struggling with how was I going to live and, and continue with my life and have a career and make money and so forth. Within six months of going online, I was completely better. I have not, that was in 2009. I've not had any chronic fatigue since. So I've been healed for 10 years and moving into the online space. Then for the initially I really taught women about what I had learned through my healing journey. I had done so many alternative therapies because Western medicine had nothing for me. Uh, and so I'd done so many alternative therapies. I had I had learned so much about what I call the way of the feminine, about surrender and using my intuition and listening to my body and working with emotions. And so I started teaching women about that. And then in 2016, I was at a conference in America and the, the conference leader said, now you're just going to close your eyes and you're just going to all think about what's your big purpose? What are you really here for? And I had already done sort of lots of life purpose stuff and whatever. This wasn't new to me. But in that moment, I closed my eyes and I just heard, make the invisible visible. And I burst into tears because <laughs> I felt the weight and the, you know, I just felt the enormity of what I had just heard. And, and it was like from that moment on, it was like everything was made clear to me. I was like, oh, all of these things that I've been doing around, I had been doing around social justice and helping and supporting and advocating for Aboriginal people, and then, um, and then learning how to live and, and work differently, all came together and I knew that I was, I was going to spend the rest of my life talking to people about speaking up, what's invisible, what can't we see about social conditioning, what do we all need to speak up about and how do we create positive change in the world in that way.
0: Mm, wow i had no idea that story was coming that is amazing (laughs) (laughs) really amazing um yeah and you know like it's interesting you work with indigenous people uh, as well as with women because i keep thinking it's all that's wrong with the world is that we've colonized everything we've colonized the country we've colonized women's bodies you know it's everything's been industrialized and globalized it's all turned into this big you know machine and I really think that bringing back the feminine and, you know, like bringing back Indigenous cultures is going to be the key to, to our safe and happy future on this earth. I mean, we can't, we actually can't go on like this. I
1: completely agree. And I feel very um, blessed and privileged that I got the opportunity to really be taught by Aboriginal people for a decade about their ways of being in the world I learned so much about um, survival and resilience and forgiveness and listening and invisibility and and what it is to find a way through all of that and that's just a, a remarkable gift that I had in my life
0: and were you so you said you were online in around 2009 were you a mother then or did that come later
1: no, I had my children. Um, so I'm 45 now. I had my children at 37 and, and, and 42. And so I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And I sort of started the business a few years before that, maybe two years before I had my first child. Uh, so my first couple of years of being in business were just absolutely blissful because... <laughs> I had so much time. <laughs> I had time, I had freedom, I had location independence. It was just incredible. Uh, and then I met my husband. I had, I just soon after starting my business, I was living in London. I, I was running the business there and I, and I came back to Sydney at the time to, um, for a holiday, met who, the man who became my future husband and, um, and then eventually decided to move the business to to Australia. And then we started a family and so forth. Uh, so yeah, but, but having children has absolutely transformed <laughs> the way that I <laughs> run the business <laughs> and, and in a really good way, because there was probably, um, not much structure in the early days because there was really no need for structure in the early days. And that was, and that was joyful in itself because I had never lived like that before. So that was its own experience, and then and then finding a way to to come into some level of structure and also flexibility, and and really balancing everybody's needs was the next phase of that.
0: Yeah, which is you know that's really interesting because I think that's ultimately what motherhood is all about, isn't it? Balancing everyone's needs, <laughs> your own um, included. So how did that change your kind of stories and the work that you were doing around visibility? Because uh, you know becoming a mother is is really a time in a woman's life when she does become invisible
1: I had my own visibility journey in motherhood which I think is really um, important in the sense that it's not unique I think it's many women have this and so for my first child I I found that I had all the same things that other women have coming up I didn't know what I was doing. I felt very fortunate in that I had done so much personal development work by then. I had lots of tools and I had a decent amount of confidence and I've always been a relatively confident person. And yet when I moved into interacting with the medical profession, I found that I was feeling very, very um, unable to speak up. I found that there was this presentation by the medical profession of we know what's best you just get on the train and follow the and don't you know don't argue with us basically (laughs) and 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 I was working I was I was going through the midwifery program so it wasn't like I was even um I wasn't putting myself at the at the extreme of that which to me the extreme of that is when you you know you you Um, have an obstetrician and, and there is a very particular path you can go on with obstetricians, which Mm -hmm. I have seen almost every single friend of mine go on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I decided, no, no, I want to give myself a different, a different experience. And I want to give myself more of a chance to have a voice in this. And even then I found that I felt very nervous about speaking up. I felt very insecure. I felt like, who am I? I don't, I've never done this before. I don't really know what's going on. And so, and this all culminated really for me in the final month of my pregnancy with my daughter. I had high blood pressure and they were worried I was going to flip into preeclampsia. I um, was then being monitored three times a week. So I was going to the hospital three times a week and they were um, monitoring my blood pressure, checking that I hadn't gone into preeclampsia. I felt very much like, I had no control over I had no say and I had no control over the the situation and I didn't actually know what to do about that how to approach that differently and so this was a real learning for me about where your voice goes or how your voice becomes silenced in that process and 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 what happened was at the the very end just before I had my my daughter I did flip over into preeclampsia but They had done a test and they didn't have the results. And they were saying, just come in. You're going to be induced today. And I thought to myself, and I was about to say, okay, then. And I thought, what are you doing? You're trained as a lawyer. You used to be a lawyer. (laughs) You know how to advocate for yourself. And yet here you are not speaking up. And so then I put on my lawyer hat and I said, no, I want to go home. I want to go home and I want to make some choices for myself, what feels right for me, and I'm feeling like I don't have that. As it turned out, uh, the results came back later in the day, and the doctor said, the doctor intervened and said, "You need to come in." And so I ended up having a birth that I wouldn't call ideal. I was induced. I did have a vaginal birth, but it was um, I didn't enjoy the process of, of being induced and what that does to the body. And in during the what I call the healing phase, the next three days of my daughter's life, I was in the hospital and I desperately wanted to be at home. And I was, I just knew for myself, m- many women feel very safe and happy and comfortable in a hospital. I feel very safe and happy and comfortable at home. And so I was desperate to get out of the <laughs> out of the hospital. So I kept, I started an advocacy <laughs> agenda where I would talk to all the <laughs> midwives and I would say. I wanna get out, I wanna get out, I wanna get out. And they'd say, you need to stay for another day, you need to stay for another day. In the end, I thought, you either have to use your voice, nobody is nobody is advocating for you, I didn't have a doula, which I, I now see would have been brilliant. Uh, I didn't have anybody advocating for me and I thought, you're gonna to have to do it for yourself. So I, I eventually decided, I woke up in the morning, I said, this is the day I leave this hospital. And, the, and I told the midwives, tell the doctor I'm leaving today. And so the doctor came in and she said, I can't let you leave. And I said, well, this is not a jail. You can't actually keep me. And she said, yes. And I said, I know what your problem is. You're worried about liability. I know. I'm a lawyer. I know what you're worried about. You're worried about me suing you because I go home and I have a stroke. She said, yes, I am. And I said, okay, well, let's just talk truthfully about what's the real thing here. I know that you are concerned about my blood pressure. So we came to a negotiation about me getting a blood pressure machine. I would come back if it got to a certain, you know, certain level, et cetera. And I, release, I signed a release form and I got home. And of course, the minute I got home, my blood pressure started to go down and I, and I was completely <laughs> fine and everything Which was we, fine.
0: We hear about so much in birth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then of course, what that did was for my next child, I was a different woman. I just was super confident because I had gone through that experience because it was five years between my children and I had, you know, done loads and loads of visibility work in that time of clearing out blocks and lots of other personal development stuff. And so when I went into my second child, my second child birth and a uh, pregnancy and birth and 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 so forth, I went in as a different woman. I went in as a woman who said, I need you, I need you and I need you on my team. This is how we're going to do it. If problems arise, this is how we're going to manage them. Thank you for your support. Thank you for assisting me. And I turned the whole thing around from they're telling me how it's going to work to I'm in the center of this experience and I'm drawing to me the people that I need to support that experience. And that changed everything. It was, the labor still was, was different and it, you know, nothing ever, labors are always very interesting, always have their, <laughs> own, their own sort of journey. But the whole time I felt that I had placed myself and my decision-making and, and my intuitive guidance and, and what I knew to be right for myself, my body and my son in the heart of what else was going on. And I, and I that, was revolutionary in terms of the experience that I had.
0: Hmm. And why is it that, because I say this a lot, many women who are strong and confident, you know, they might have, you know, careers like that you would expect them to be, you know, activists or mavericks or rebellious, you know, they're not the kind of women who do what they're told, but suddenly when we become mothers, this happens to so many women, but we lose our voice. So how do they do that to us? What What
1: happens well, I think that it's so important to understand societal conditioning and the, and the influence of societal conditioning on the way we live. Because even if you had a mother who, let's say, who was a role model in speaking up and being seen and heard and doing her own thing and, and a maverick, which is often not right. the case, yeah. <laughs> but even if you had that, you had an entire society It's giving you different messages, giving you alternate messages, probably giving you messages that your mum was wrong. And all of the messages are around this is acceptable for a woman and this is not acceptable for a woman. This is the way we expect you to behave. This is the way we don't expect you to behave. And the ways we're expected to behave are compliant uh, accommodating, pleasant, nice, uh, keeping our voices like this. We're not expected to e- express any anger or rage, and and this messaging goes through from birth to death, and so we have it as as little girls where we we were told there's there've been definitely changes and we'll continue to see this evolve, but certainly when I was a young girl. It was all about being good girls. So it was like be a good girl, be quiet, do as you're told, behave well. I got I definitely got um, rewarded for doing the right thing. And I got rewarded for performing according to a set of rules. So it's Which were
0: basically about making you invisible. They were making you like be normal, fit in, don't make a fuss, don't stand out. Yeah. Exactly, exactly.
1: Don't be controversial on any level. Just just do what makes our lives easier. And so what we find is that girls do very well at school because school is an an environment where that kind of behaviour is rewarded. And so we do really, 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 really well in school. We do well at university and then we get into the workforce and that's not the behaviour that's rewarded. The behaviour that's rewarded is the behaviour of thinking differently, being a bit of a maverick, trying your own way, pushing yourself forward, advocating for you over everybody else, not playing by the rules. And then what happens is we dive, we do a deep dive. There's many reasons for it, but this is a huge one, is we do a deep dive in terms of our acceleration, our path of of, of achievement or, or progression. And and what it happens in the mothering space is that we get into... Um, either being pregnant or or it hits women at different points. And all of this conditioning of you, you actually don't know what's right for you. We know what's right for you comes into play. All of this conditioning that we saw our mother do all of the housework. We saw our mother um, always take us to the doctors and Always just do as the doctor told us, we come from a society where there are these authority figures it 's very new that we live as we do today, where all of that 's been broken down. Our parents and, and certainly the baby boomer generation had certain authority figures and one was the priest and or the religious figure, whoever that was, one was the doctor and um, and then there were the businessmen and those were the people who we went to and they told us how to live and we all just complied. And so there's this, this echoes through the way that we parent, it echoes through the way that we birth, it echoes through the way that we, we experience our pregnancy experience. And people can say, well, that didn't affect me, but it's like we're swimming in infected waters and you can pretend all you like that you aren't infected by the by the waters, but it's actually physically impossible for you not to have been impacted by them
0: mm, in some way. And can you talk about that? Like we've talked about the big picture, like what's happening on a social level, but how do we actually experience that when we become mothers on an individual level? So, so imagine a mother's group. So, then and every
1: woman in that group will have had that. Societal big societal um, influence, and then, as a consequence of our family life and our own personalities we'll approach that differently. but what invariably runs through it is there's a crisis of confidence which can last a minute or it can last years where a woman says, "Do I actually know do I know what's right for me, for my body, for my child or not and Many women will, for a long time, question that and doubt that. And so there's many books, some, some which are helpful, some which are less helpful, but, but we're looking, looking, looking. Because we haven't grown up in an environment like Indigenous cultures where people taught you, you know what's best for you. You, you understand how your body works. You have this innate wisdom within you. Let me teach you how to access that. And then you will be set up for life with that because we haven't had that. We get to this point where we're suddenly in this very new experience where we're clocked into it. And um, normally everybody else is kind of busy doing their thing. They've all gone back to work or they're this or this. And all of a sudden we have this moment where we're in the home. We've got this baby who won't stop crying and we have no idea what to do about it. And so women do different things. Some women look for a book because a book is is an
0: author is a piece of authority, and so mm-hmm. and they want that out. one plus two equals three kind of answer. They just want someone to tell them the formula.
1: Exactly. I mean, don't you love a formula when you're like, just <laughs> tell me how to stop this baby crying? <laughs> or uh, so some women will do that. Others will reach out to other women and have lots and lots and lots of conversations you tell me what you did 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 and you'll gather information that way uh some women will turn to their mothers and they'll have that they'll have that guidance and sometimes that mother or the mother-in-law is giving welcome advice and sometimes they're giving less than welcome advice (laughs) and the (laughs) woman's then dealing with that pressure and and then the rare instance is the rarer instance is the woman who says First, I'm going to check in with me because she's never been encouraged to do that. First, I'm going to check in with me and then I'm going to speak up to the people around me about what I need. And that might be, I need this book, I need this person and I need this service. But instead what's happening is I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not exactly sure where to get all the information from. I don't know how to use my voice to ask for help because I've been told I shouldn't need help. I shouldn't have to ask for help. I should have all of this sorted myself. Uh, Oh, and then by the way, I've got to do all the housework and I've got to, I'm supposed to every time I go out in public, I'm supposed to not look like I've only had three hours sleep and I'm, I'm supposed to somehow put on, some kind of facade around looking half decent because there's this whole other pressure around women always appearing pleasantly attired and, and, and as beautiful as they possibly can at any moment. So that's another thing that's influencing there.
0: Loving this podcast? Check out our books at newbornmothers.com. Nourishing Newborn Mothers is a recipe book to nourish your mind, body and soul after childbirth. And my second book, Newborn Mothers, was a bestseller. I know, I can't believe it either. It's about baby brain, village building and how to find happiness in 21st century parenting. You can get the first chapter free of both books at newbornmothers.com slash books. Yeah, I love that. I just I love all of that. And I think it's really is such a big thing, isn't it? You know, we talk about um in my course and my books we talk about the information frenzy that women get that mothers get stuck in and the important thing is I think women like you said they have to go on this journey and it's really the difference is whether they stay in that for moments or years. And sometimes you see women who are old, you know, in their 80s, and they're still um, never got through that, you know, they still never had a guide or a role model or an example of how to do that. And, you know, the other thing that I've been thinking of as you've been talking is how traditional cultures do it differently. And many, many Indigenous cultures around the world, one of the really key themes um, well, there's a few, but a couple that are relevant are um, treating the mother like some kind of goddess or queen or bride, you know, in some way that she is like this, you know, incredibly powerful person, you know, in, in Morocco, they actually dress the women up as brides, you know, so it's very, um, it's very literal Um, And then the other thing that they do a lot of is rites of passage, you know, so they do do ceremonies and rituals that really welcome a mother to step into her power. So, you know, you can imagine that women might go through that moment of doubt, because it is a scary and huge thing to become a mother. And you do have to ask yourself, who even am I anymore? And am I enough? Can I even do this job that's so difficult? Um, You know, so it's natural, I guess, to have that fear, fear for a moment. But then if you have a kind of culture that can get you through that quickly it would be a very different experience than a culture that leaves you stuck there and worse pushes you down you know is constantly telling you you don't know what's right and I've got the right answers and you're just doing it all wrong you know so yeah you can see how that would make such a big difference
1: and minimizing women's stories this is a huge part of it is this this? tendency to not believe women when we speak and we saw this through me too where we saw that women we saw before me too women would speak up about sexual harassment or sexual assault and and the common the most common response was i'm not sure i believe her she's you know and there would be all sorts of stories created around her motivation for speaking up and and just speaking her truth and it was always invariably came down to she's trying to destroy the man so that's the that's the common that was the common narrative. And and then the me too movement showed us that actually this tsunami of women's voices saying, well that's my experience and that's my experience and that's my experience and that's my experience and they're all basically the same thing. I mean, women have different like I said about, you know, we come into a mothers group, we have lots of different ideas and lots of different takes on it, but but ultimately there's a huge amount of similarity in what's going on. Similarly with sexual harassment was, yes, there's lots of variation on the story, but, but basically it's the same thing. It's, it's a man presuming that he can dominate a woman and impose himself on a woman. And so what we, what we saw from that was two things. It became very clear that women's stories are only validated in society if there are many, 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 so many women speaking up that it's irrefutable. So, so what happens for a woman who is on her own, you know, going through this mothering experience by herself is she may have the confidence to speak up and say, but but I'm not enjoying this or I'm feeling really unsupported or I'm feeling really alone or depressed or lonely, or I don't feel as connected to my child as everybody else seems to be. And if she does that by herself as one voice, invariably she's minimised, her voice is minimised in some way. And this is done by people who, um, would out and out reject her voice, but it's mainly done by people who care for her. It's mainly done in a way where, you know, the mother says, her mother says, or her friends say, whatever. Oh, fuck up, you'll be all right, or cheer up, or don't you know that you're so, um, you are so blessed to have a child? Or so they instantly they don't say, "I hear you," I. Am here to witness your experience. They, they try and convince her of a different story. And it's not until more and more and more and more and more women speak up and say let's, say, let's say the topic is postnatal depression, more and more and more women speak up about it, then all of a sudden this tendency that we have to minimize one woman's story becomes more difficult to do because there are just too many women saying the same thing. So I think this is hugely important. And one of the, really, one of the reasons I'm constantly encouraging women to speak up and share their experience truthfully, because you do such a favour to other women when you do that. And you'd be so surprised by how many women say, thank you for speaking up. That's my experience too. And I felt so alone when I thought I was the only one.
0: Yeah, it's funny, you know, working in the area that I do, I mean, I've been working with women postpartum for more than 10 years now, and they tell me lots of stories, but most of them tell me privately. Um, So I see this, I see this you know, this huge cultural phenomenon, this big problem that's not an individual thing. But then every single mum comes to me and, and she really wants validation. She says, am I the only one? And, you know, you're saying that when women do share their stories, they get silenced and they even get silenced by other mothers. I think even other mothers have been so conditioned that they'll say, oh, no, you know, she must be sick or there's something wrong with her or she's just not coping, you know, rather than going, oh, okay, that's an interesting story because I think they often have spent so long crushing and down and pushing down their own story, you know, their own experience that they can't even listen to the other women's stories, you know, so it has to get to this tipping point. And, you know, you you mentioned the Me Too movement and just for everyone listening at home, in Australia we're starting to try and use a hashtag Mums Matter. So if anyone wants to share a story of motherhood that that does feel perhaps like um, is an important story to share but is a difficult story to share, um, we're hoping that over time we'll all use the hashtag Mums Matter and be able to see that it is a much greater greater number of women who are having these experiences and and it's not just you i love i love that hashtag i'm
1: totally going to use that from now on (laughs) i um i had a post that i did a a couple of years ago um, which uh, was part of one of my programs Uh, the post was called i'm not depressed i'm enraged it was a post that i wrote it was actually something that i wrote at like 2 a.m in the morning i had just breastfed my my son uh he was asleep my husband was asleep. They were both asleep either side of me. And I just all of a sudden, I was so tired and, and I was watching everybody else sleep. I couldn't get back to sleep because my adrenals had jumped from being woken up so many times. And I just felt this pure rage come through me of why am I doing all of this by myself? And, and, and I have a very supportive husband. He's definitely, we are a 50-50 gang in this house. and still. I had so much rage come up. And so I just got on my phone because it was near me and I typed out this little um, extensive passages <laughs> around what I was enraged about. And what I was enraged about was the lack of the community, lack of the tribe, lack of the, the, the support that, that women need to do the job of particularly in those, you know, the first six to 12 months of a child's life and and so i we used to share it just in a program and then one of the women in the program said to me will you would you make this public because this reflects so many women's experience and i think it'll be beneficial if you did so i said sure and i didn't really think much i didn't think it was controversial actually
0: i thought <laughs> i thought well of course if you be this, this, yeah. this is normal <laughs> yeah this is what every mom's talking about <laughs> exactly <laughs> so
1: i i posted it and, um, and you know, people responded at the time and then about a few months later, it suddenly just took, it suddenly gathered a life of its own. People started sharing it in mother's groups, it got shared, in the end, it got shared to over a million people. And which meant, and there was five, it was shared seven and a half thousand times. I think there was 5,000 comments on it. So there were a lot of comments coming through on this Facebook post. So yes. not from your crew either anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was shocked by how many women, and this really made me sad actually, how many women told me to basically shut up. I actually had a woman say, in caps, sit down and shut up. That was her. They were all in caps with exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. That was her whole entire comment. This is, so this is part of, this was, a lived experience of what it is when a woman dares to speak the truth about motherhood and dares to share her perspective in a world that says mothers should be grateful, mothers are not supposed to, speak up and say anything other than I love my child and I'm so grateful for my experience so I had Mm. every spectrum coming at me from women who were saying how dare you say anything about motherhood when I tried to have a child and I couldn't have a child and I said I am so sorry you couldn't have a child that does not delegitimize my voice please go and speak about your experience and Mm -hmm. I will be there cheering you on this doesn't mean just because I have one story it's not minimizing your experience it's mm-hmm. just labeling and naming my experience mm-hmm. but the you know I had women who were older women in this women who would declare their age so they'd say I'm 60 I'm 70 whatever you're just too young and I'd say I'm a 44 year old woman who wrote this post I'm not a, am not a twin she was saying oh you know in your 20s when you have a child blah, blah. I'm like I'm that's not me. Like you, you, I don't even know who you think you're talking to right now. But all of this projection onto women and this entitlement that everybody feels to tell a woman how she should and should not be feeling. That is at the core of why we struggle to speak up as mothers.
0: Mm, yeah it's amazing you know I had a similar experience on a very small scale just recently we've got our, as we're recording this podcast got our elections on this weekend and I just put a post up about climate action I said if you're you know if you're not voting for climate action maybe here's some things you can read and I actually got someone commented who was one of my you know top fans according to Facebook saying like oh it's such a shame to to you know sully this lovely mother's group with political comments or something and I was like what do you expect me to do? Let my husband tell me how to vote. You know, like, where? what world are we living in that I as a mother can't have a political opinion? And and if there were
1: any topic that a mother, you would hope a mother would be passionate about, it would be about the environment because well, this, the
0: world, their child, is either going to live in or not live in if they can't breathe any oxygen. <laughs> and that's basically exactly what the blog post said. And, you know, in, in some parts of the world, uh, climate action is bipartisan. In Australia, it's not. So it becomes political. It shouldn't be political. Every, every leader in the world should be taking action on climate change. It should be bipartisan. So, you know, you can make it political if you want to, or you can just say, we need to protect the future for our children that's what mothers do i'm so inspired by um the women of the world
1: who are speaking up as mothers and as as activists is what they're labeled Mm. as climate change activists because i think that is such a beautiful expression of a mother's love isn't it to Mm. fight for the for the planet to fight for the future of the planet for their children I just think that's beautiful Mm. but I think there's a bigger thing that I watch which is this thing of when I spoke earlier about you know the rise of the feminine and, and my own experience in those four years of being sick of really learning how to deeply be in the feminine what I have seen since that time is that I've become very aware of how disrespected the feminine is and what that looks like in every single aspect of life. It looks like disrespect of the planet. It looks like disrespect of women's experiences in the workplace. It looks like disrespect of mothering. And so where we're living now is the time where all of this is coming up for grabs. So we can't just be... Uh, in my opinion, we can't just be saying there's motherhood over here and there's the environment over here. This all is coming together. This all has to change together because we can't separate things off in that way and pretend that uh, the way we mother, the way we parent has nothing to do with the environment when it has everything to do with the environment. And the minute that mothers recognize how powerful they are, that we are, I read a statistic the other day and I, I'm going to get close to the right statistic that women will have 75 by 2020. I think it is women will have 75% of buying power in the world. So we are the future. We make the majority of those decisions. And in that, in when I was reading that statistic, they said, and let's face it the other 15% we have a fair bit of influence over anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> so the minute that, women and particularly mothers recognize that each of our individual actions have the capacity to absolutely change the world when we stop telling ourselves my small action here as one mother doesn't do anything my decision not to speak up about this is irrelevant and we recognize I have to speak up And so does my, my, all the other women in my mother's group and all the other mothers that I know around the world. And each time we speak up, we gather momentum, we gather momentum, we gather momentum, then we that's how we will see radical shifts in every aspect of life and that's how we will change the mothering experience for our daughters and their daughters and their daughters Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i agree it's just like the ecosystem isn't it you you you, it all relies on each other and i think that's ultimately the view that motherhood gives you is this view of of humanity and and love of all the world um So have you got any, just before we wrap up, have you got any kind of practical tips if people are listening to this and they're feeling inspired to get their voice out there but they just don't even know where to start, it takes practice, it's really hard to do the first time. So have you got any kind of ways that they can just take that first step?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is to be visible to yourself and what I mean by that is to be honest with yourself, to be to allow yourself and this is the word allow is really important there is to give yourself permission to see the truth of your experience so, and and that sounds like what what it, what i mean is that often what will happen is we'll be we'll be just going through our day and let's say that you're at home with a young child and there will be this wave of sadness or grief or whatever it is, or rage come through you. And we'll, we will talk ourselves out of it. We will suppress it, first of all. So, so being visible to yourself is first of all, being willing to stop in that moment and be truthful to yourself. That I'm rageful right now, or I'm frustrated right now, or I'm upset right now, or I'm really, really sad right now, or I feel alone right now. Be visible to yourself, allow your emotions to be visible to yourself. And sit just with that. You cannot witness another woman if you cannot witness yourself. So the reason that we try and fix everybody else's thing when they say, "Oh, this is what I'm, what's happening for me," and we say, "Oh, don't worry about it," or "Let me give you a solution," or "Da da da," is because we're doing that to ourselves first. And so we do to others what we do to ourselves. So if we can first go, can I stop in this moment and just? see the truth of what's going on for me? Do I have the courage to be truthful about what's going on for me? And maybe you do that by witnessing your emotions. Maybe what you do is you start a journal and you just start writing absolutely the raw, ugly, naked truth of what's going on for you. But once you start to see the stories particularly, all of the stories that you're telling yourself about um, About how you should be showing up as a mother, and this is a really great exercise to do. Just at the top of the page, write a mother should, or a mother, um, mothers should behave like, or something along those lines, and just write down all your stories there. You will start to see, oh my god, how do I even get through the day (laughs) with so many
0: stories?
1: are limiting what I'm doing. So so be visible to yourself, first of all, is the number one thing. And then the second thing I would suggest is then if you can, with a friend, anybody who you've got another mother that you know, if you can start to just practice hearing them without fixing them, without being helpful, without having a solution, just witness them and get into the habit of saying, I hear you or I see you or I'm here to witness this for you. End of story. No more words, no more. Just I hear you because the greatest, one of the greatest gifts you can give another human being is to witness them in their lived experience, whatever that is, not to minimize it, not to change it. And once you get into the habit of seeing yourself and witnessing others all of the other lessons will come through from there but that's a practice that's something that you have to be committed to doing Mm -hmm. on a regular basis in order to see the benefits of it and even excuse me online doing the same thing so comments come through on posts and so forth and when a woman just pours out her heart to another woman to whomever to facebook or (laughs) wherever. You just saying, I hear you, I see you. Just notice your either resistance to that or willingness to do that and notice what it does to the other woman and Mm. then notice how it feels to be told, I hear you, I see you. Mm. Your whole body goes, oh, oh, I'm witnessed. It's like they give you permission to be and when you have permission to be, you are free. You're free. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. Oh, I love it. That's such great advice. And if people do need more help with this, um, can you tell us about your your course, Invisible Mothers? Sure. Um, so there's a so everything that we do is at the School of Visibility, which is just
1: theschoolofvisibility.com. We're easy to find. Uh, and the course that we have coming up in so if you're listening to this um, in, in, time, in a timely fashion, uh, you'll find that uh, the course is in the second half of 2019 and it's called Invisible Mothers and it really explores what Is stopping us from speaking up. It looks at, it gives us some, gives you a sense of, oh, these are the things that are influencing my willingness to speak up or not speak up. Because this, if you're feeling like I can't speak up, that's not your fault. So many women think, put the blame on themselves, they say, I'm just not confident enough. I, oh, it's all me. I'm, I should be more this. I should be more that. I should be more superwoman. You live in a society that is from four and a half thousand years ago, there was a, there was a law in place in Mesopotamia that said, if a woman speaks out of turn, she will be smashed. Her teeth will be smashed by a brick. That started four and a half thousand years ago, the silencing of women. It was already encoded at that point. Heavens knows how long it started before then. We have four and a half thousand years at least of conditioning, which says your voice doesn't matter. So if you're thinking, I'm not confident, I feel like maybe I'll say it the wrong way if I speak up, maybe other people will respond badly if I speak up. That's normal. Every woman thinks that on some level because we have been conditioned to do that. So I want everybody to know that because then you realize you're not alone and you're not weird and you're not different and you're not wrong. And so what the program Invisible Mothers does is it looks at those things and it shows you, it gets, you, invites you to then do inquiry around, well, as a consequence of, um, starting to look at my stories around why I can and cannot speak up. How, as a mother, I'm expected to behave and not behave. What is that doing to my experience of motherhood? And then it teaches you tools to then clear out the stories because the stories are limiting your capacity to be in the fullness of your womanhood, in the fullness of your motherhood. And when you learn how to see the stories, first of all, and then clear the stories, then you are free to really embody the essence of the feminine that you are here to embody on the planet. So that's what the program is about. That will be available in the second half of 2019 and we'll
0: have links and things, I'm sure. um, Yes, yes, we'll we'll put all the links up for everyone so they can find it easily. I'll also link to your I'm not depressed, I'm enraged post because I know that was a very... That got shared in my groups as well.
1: Oh, did it? Oh, great. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and again, I knew you already and I was like, oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> I had lots of women coming to me going, I've just seen you You mentioned over here and I've just seen you. Yes.
1: You know. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that I've realised myself over time in doing this work is that it's very important um, that I do speak up and that I be controversial at times because that is the permission piece that other women need. and it, And the minute that... Every woman recognizes I'm doing a service to other women by choosing to speak up here. This isn't just about me. This is about the planet as a whole. I'm helping myself. I'm helping my children because they get to see a different model and then they'll replicate that model. Then that's just a beautiful thing that you can do for the world. So yeah, I love
0: it. But also, you know, know, I also love what you've written already about it's actually not controversial. And I think the example you give is Nelson Mandela was controversial, you know, and it's like it just means that, you know, speaking your truth doesn't mean that actually that you're controversial. It just means that perhaps you're in a culture that's uh, that's. I don't know, maybe it's like it's the wrong way around, you know, it's the culture that's controversial, not you. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Everything when you
1: live in a society that limits women, doesn't respect women appropriately, then everything that a woman has to say is deemed controversial. Mahatma Gandhi was considered controversial. Mm. Martin Luther King was considered controversial. Or, you know, these incredible human beings who were just speaking up about something that the dominant narrative was saying do not speak about this so Mm. the minute that you realize oh of course everything i say is going to be controversial because i'm speaking about something that's not not supposed to be spoken about then you can Mm. ditch the controversy label and just say
0: for yourself to tell those stories exactly Oh, thank you so much, Samantha. That was amazing. We could talk all day and I'm sure we'll do another um, podcast or, yeah, something else together because I just, yeah, I could just keep listening to you. How, wh- so you said you're writing a book too. When's that going to come out? So that's called women speaking up. <laughs>
1: Not yeah. surprisingly, I'm just <laughs> laughing at myself for my, you know,
0: it's my obvious title. Title, That's great. <laughs> uh,
1: so we're aiming. I'm aiming at. Um, I'm, I've got September in my mind, uh, mm-hmm. but we will. Um, we'll see how that goes. Definitely 2019, and uh, yeah, and that's really about both why aren't we speaking up, which is very much what we've talked about today, and then what we can do about that collectively and individually.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, yes, people can find you at schoolofvisibility.com. We'll pop yes, the links the all down. Of visibility.com. Oh, the school. Remember the? <laughs> the School of Visibility. We'll put the links anyway in the show notes. So if you're listening on, um, you know, on iTunes or something, jump back to the blog and you can find all the links there. Thank you so much, Samantha, and I'll see you again. Thanks, Julia. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.